Hello and welcome to Something to Think About Over the Weekend, a podcast where my father and I, Rabbi Avi Horowitz, and myself, Ayelet, will go into depth discussing ideas that are relevant and meaningful to our lives today based on the weekly Torah portion, otherwise known as the Parsha. These are always chock full of ideas that present us with amazing opportunities to explore all kinds of things, subjects, topics, and anything else that comes up, really. Our hope is to widen your horizon with our questions and conversations, different viewpoints and thoughts on the weekly Parsha so that you will indeed have something to think about over Shabbat. Shabbat is such a great time to relax. It gives us the luxury of time to think about life, our relationships, issues, anything really that comes up. So with no further ado, here is something to think about. This week, we're going to be talking about the idea of negativity and why negativity sells, why are we so obsessed with negative news, and is actually, is the Bible full of negative news? Why is it that here we are, again, going through the Bible cycle, starting from Genesis, and if you ask uh, your average person on the street and say, well, what, what's Genesis about? Um, they'll tell you, well, the fall of man, of original man and his wife, you know, Eve. And <clears throat> they'll tell you about the snake. Um, they'll tell you about the flood, the destruction of mankind. Uh, they'll tell you about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody knows those names. And that's actually this week's reading. And the First, the individuals that show up in the Torah, starting from Adam and Eve, most of their lives are not celebrating <clears throat> the things that they've done really well or what they were, uh, the stature that they were able to accomplish and reach in their lives. But very often it's focused on their mistakes. Um, for example, uh, Moses, he doesn't get into Israel because he fails, you know, at the uh, rock. He, he doesn't uh, do what God commanded to bring water to the people. So that failure results in him not going into the land, which is really what he wanted to do. His whole desire was to get into the promised land. And we speak about entire generations of the Jewish people after Egypt that fail, you know, in the golden calf. And they are cursed. And... Um, they send spies into Israel later on in the narrative of the Torah, and they, their generation is condemned to an entire um, existence in the desert without getting into the Promised Land. I am hard-pressed to think of examples in the Torah where we really celebrate the lives of particular people. I must say that um, this is something that's bothered many uh, observers of Judaism and Old Testament studies. Um, because when you're looking for inspiration, you want to be able to, to celebrate the lives of uh, the champions, of the great, the greats, the spiritual greats. And what we find is 
very often that these the people that we are looking to look up to are um, very much celebrated in the negative. We don't see um, as much of their accomplishments as we do their failings. And the question is, what hope does that leave for mankind then? The question we're putting together here this weekend is, how do we get inspired by that? What are we supposed to take from an entire recording of, of uh, exploits of man, starting from the beginning, that uh, very much records failings of mankind? Um, what does that say about uh, our propensity today also to focus on negative news? You know, is that the same thing that like almost to say like the Bible wanted to sell itself so it put things that were negative so that people would actually get interested in it? Why, why do we have this um, burning desire to read about the failings of other people, even today, of course? That's the way news sells. Um, what hope, again, do we have if we look at our heroes that are supposedly our heroes and we just talk about their failings? Those are the issues that uh, we'd like to raise this week. And uh, we'll talk about contrasts between Judaism and other religions and try to develop a particular vantage point that Judaism has about this particular issue. So if I can just interrupt over here, I want to just make the question really clear. The question is, what does the recording of all the failures of our great giants in our history leave us to hope for? If they who had so much more wisdom and so much more connection and so much more everything than we do, what is how are we expected to succeed when clearly they failed so many times? And a, a, another question from there really is, what's the purpose of recording failure? What's What do we gain? Going back to what my father was saying about why negative news sells. What is it about negative things and failure that draws us in so much? And is there actually something that we can learn from negative news? Is there something that we inherently gain by hearing and experiencing and learning about other people's failures? Right. That's, uh, that's a great way of putting it. I'd like to um, play a little bit of devil's advocate there and say, do the things that we talk about in the Torah, about you know, the failings of the particular people, when we say, you know, does that leave hope for mankind? You know, that's the expression that we're, we're using. Um, the question is, well, how do we know that these particular individuals that we read about are actually heroes? You know, there's a modern uh, slant to, to the way the Bible is looked at today that says basically... Who says that these people are actually exemplary figures? Now, it's important to note that for traditional Judaism, um, that's a sine qua non, that's a, an axiom, which means the, the, the particular figures in the Torah, in, in what we call the Bible and uh, later on, if they are mentioned in certain light, which we can discuss exactly what light that is. How do we? How do you know who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Which is always a, a very interesting issue. 
um, the we have the tradition kind of gives us an idea of who those people are that are the exemplary ones and yet at the same time that we're supposed to admire these people um, we're also like i said mostly discussing and expounding on failures it's interesting to note at this point that when you contrast that to other religions let's just say the three primary you know monotheistic religions of christianity and islam there's a great difference in this area um, in christianity uh, jesus is portrayed as infallible practically um, he has his temptation and he has certain episodes but um, the majority of what's written about jesus in the gospel and in the new testament is mostly uh, very flattering and i look at it and i can understand why people are attracted to it. of course um, being a jew my entire life i can understand why a person um, especially today's day and age would want to read about a hero that actually does cool stuff all the time and is um, very very well described in in his inner thoughts and what kind of a noble and holy man he was um, in islam also um, the quran and the surah and the writings of the prophet are are very much um praising the prophet it's very very seldom that you'll see any critique i don't think there is any critique of uh, muhammad in any of the traditional Muslim Muslim writings, um, and in even in today's day and age, you know, any hint at criticizing the prophet will will, it will meet um, a swift response and threatening response, as we've seen, you know, over and over the last couple of decades, even in our lifetimes. So when we can't contrast the three monotheistic religions we're dealing with something that's very, very interesting, which is the way we deal with our heroes. So I think it's worthwhile exploring this issue, um, especially you know, reading the beginning of the Bible readings of the Torah, starting from Bereshit, Noach, and Lech Lecha. We're up to the third one now, Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha is the beginning of where we start seeing those you know, heroes that we can identify with, starting with Avraham and Sarah and his wife Sarah. Uh, but even they, as being the heroes, we don't really know much about them. It doesn't say who they were. We have traditions, but in the written text, it doesn't say who they were. It just says uh, Avraham was the son of Terach, and they started a journey. His wife was Sarai. And they made it to a place called Canaan, and God appears to Abraham and gives and charges him with, you know, becoming the father of a great nation. Not to mention, I'm saying there is also mention of his his brother Lot, which I find to be very fascinating. Seems to kind of just jump in here and there, and but then later on plays some pretty important roles. He's like a cool side character that we have there. The family, uh, you know, the complications of family are described very, very early on in the Torah. You know, what to do with that nephew. who's <laughs> <laughs> just hanging around. Or the brother, if we're going back to Boratius. Family rivalry is really big in Torah. 
that's just one of the things that I always find very awesome about learning Torah is sometimes it seems like it's so distant and, and it's so outdated or like, what am I learning this for? But the issues are so, so relevant if we just take the time to really ask questions and really see what's what's going on here. What are we really talking about? And I think that if we keep asking ourselves, how does this relate to me? We can really come out with a lot of insight as to how the knowledge that we have in Torah really is indeed timeless. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned um, this as a side point, but it's it's not it's not that a side point. And the some some of the failings, or many of the failings that we read, especially in Sefer Bereshit. Um, have to do with the failings of family, as examples uh, are abundant in the Torah. Uh, besides the squabbles between um, spouses, you know about very difficult issues. But then there's also the first two brothers of the world, you know, commit fratricide. You know, not both, but Cain, you know, Cain kills Abel, and then from there, an entire society, you know, over ten generations. Uh, basically falls apart and uh, the corruption and the amount of exploitation that's rife amongst man leads to the uh, destruction of man the flood we read and only Noah and his Noah and his children are saved but then again Noah comes out of the the Teva he comes out of the ark and he seems to do something also that's that's not descriptive and then immediately after, there's that whole situation with Noah's son. Well, well right. He, he, Which is he, very crazy. <laughs> he, plant, he plants a vineyard. We're not sure exactly what the tone of the, of the Torah is when he says, when it says it plants as a vineyard, you know, and he, and he gets drunk, which certainly in our eyes doesn't seem to be a very uh, um, noble thing. And he's rolling around, and then his children come to uh, save his honor. And some are more sensitive than others, and that that simple story seems to be like a harbinger for what's to come. You know, shame is going to be the noble, you know, uh, heir of humanity, and Yefet, you know, Jefet is going to be in the middle, and Ham, who has very little sensitivity to his father's embarrassment and shame, is going to be, you know, on the bottom of the heap. Um, Okay, an interesting story, but certainly it doesn't leave you jumping and skipping for joy and wanting to serve God or anything else that we want the Torah, we would assume we would want the Torah to do, you know, to help us get inspired to do. Um, then, you you know, you keep going on the story and, and you read about um, more and more failings of brothers between each other, Yishmael and Yitzchak, you know, the children of Yaakov, the children of Avram Avinu, the children of the patriarch Abraham, and uh, they didn't really get along so well, uh, but even if... To put it mildly. <laughs> well, it doesn't really say how much, it does. it's only insinuates because all of a sudden the mother, you know, Sarai and, and uh, Avram, not so willingly, you know, decide to, to actually expel their child from the home with the maidservant Hagar, you know, not a great story. It's, it's not something you would think you would read your children at night as a bedtime story. 
how uh, one of the children just, you know, didn't cut the mustard, so they get booted out of the house. Um, <laughs> and then you have, um, you know, just just keeps going. You know, you know, Yitzchak and his difficulties with his neighbors, and finally, you know, Yaakov and Esav, um, the the brothers again, you know, the twins who <laughs> let's just say don't see eye to eye. Maybe they were put into that situation, but it becomes an issue about the about the um, about the firstborn rights, and Yaakov ends up having to Jacob ends up having to run away from the home, and Asav chases him, and they have this confrontation. But before we read about the confrontation between these two brothers, then you have another family issue because Jacob runs to his uncle Lavan. And Lavan isn't the straightest character. He tries to rip him off many on many different occasions. He works for him for a total of 20 years. And he has to run away in the middle of the night. I mean, After marrying two sisters because that was right, a mistake. Because that was a huge, you know, uh, trickeroo. Because he was supposed to, he wanted to marry his love, Rachel. And instead ends up marrying Leah because of a trick. I mean, we can go on and on really almost to the end. And then, of course, it's crowned by, you know, all these children of Jacob. You know, you'd think finally they would have learned that at least the storyline would learn its lesson of like, you know, the strife in the family isn't a good thing. You know, it's crowned by, well, you know, 11 brothers or at least 10 brothers decide to sell one of their brothers, Joseph, Yosef, into slavery. <sighs> tough even just recounting all these things because it gets me back to where we started which is what in the world are we as readers um, with our sensitivities of today where do we go from here that's my question i, I guess I, i'm saying if we would be reading this with fresh eyes I guess those fresh eyes would end up being a lot more polluted in a certain way into thinking that, well, there's not many much great expectation for humanity, you know, because we're reading about these figures year in and year out. And on one hand, as we said originally, we are conditioned and we're taught to believe that these are our heroes. But on the other hand, all we harp on are the failings. So that's the, that's the deal. Where do we go from here? Where do we go with this issue? That's what's, the, what, what's the point? <laughs> Is it like, what are we supposed to gain from all these recordings? Right. Where where do we go? So what do you think? I've I've been thinking since since we started even before this. Um, I was thinking, what would it be like if we only had positive accounts of of these great heroes in our Torah? Like we said, Christianity and and, and uh, Islam has. I'm 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 starting to feel a little bit of pressure just thinking about it. <laughs> just like we have all these huge people who had connections like we don't even understand and and wisdom and abilities and just a different outlook on life that we can't even fathom and they never make any mistakes and <laughs> they're just awesome they're living life like yeah live my best life <laughs> serving god and i'm like well <laughs> sucks to be me because i'm definitely making a lot of mistakes in life and like 
at least if the people before me failed, then there's something for me to be like, you know what, I can, I can also fail and I can also strive to be better. It gives me the, the not even permission, but it, it, it gives me hope really to know that people who are bigger than me have failures and that I can therefore also fail and know that there's this concept of working and being better. But the, to believe that before me there were no mistakes and we're just a bunch of buffoons trying to like do it right is like, please, I don't even want to go there. Yeah, I hear that. I hear. Um, I think we're going to probably try to trail, um, trying to cr create a trail of understanding along those lines that you're saying. Question is, where do we start from? I think maybe one of the examples that we can start from that's interesting is where uh, we find the uh, the Bible. You know, later on, trying to uh, motivate the people to then, you know, had already been created the people of Israel to to follow the the straight and narrow. You know, what's the motivation to follow the straight and narrow you know the good way as the torah will describe later on the good path the path of of life uh the path of goodness as opposed to the path of death and the path of evil which also then brings up the question if what we're recording already is failures what are we calling the good life and the life of goodness and and life and Everything that's good, we don't really seem to have a lot of precedence to what this good life really is. So what really are we describing as good life and what are we saying is the path of bad and evil? Right. It it definitely, you know, we have to agree, I think, that it definitely presents for us a picture that's much different than our sensitivities today. If we were writing the Bible, we would write it clearly a lot differently. And a lot of the difference would, would have to do with what we're talking about. We would want a lot more richer context of the personalities. We probably want a little bit more of a richer context of the history of the backdrop. And, and there's none of that in the Torah. Um, it, the Torah is very, very scant about these details. If you feel that, um, the Bible is actually a narrative that's trying to present a case for history. You're going to be hard pressed to try to, um, to try to protect that position because um, it, it clearly fails as a history book. Um, even to this day, we have certain you know traditional misunderstandings or, or differences of opinion as to when exactly everything took place. But the traditional way of which, of course, is what we're trying to explain over here, of looking at the Bible and the, 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 the Torah, is that it is a book of teaching. Right? It's, it's trying to teach us something. One second, that was a very important point. You, what you're already putting now as a filter to this conversation is the understanding that Torah is indeed not a history book, because we're saying even in our tradition, there are historic inaccuracies in terms of timing and the way it's written. Um, and it really is a book of lessons, a book of life, life lessons, a book of learning, insights, guidance. So that's an important point to really highlight right now. Right. 
it's not a mm, do good, feel good type of book. It's it's not there to read like um, pick me up, pick me up like a poetry book. At least in like again with our sensitivities, until a person develops that, I would say it's certainly not to the eye of the observer, to the beholder of the of the Bible. It doesn't it's not a pick up book, um, but the you know to use the words you were saying before like what is it what does it contain that we're going to say oh yeah like what you know what is the good life that you had asked before clearly the good life that we're talking about is a, a life full of principle a life full of um knowing what the right path is a, a, a life full of the, feeling the confidence in knowing that i'm doing the right thing and ultimately, the Torah purports that the even simcha, even something like joy, is a product of that feeling. When a person feels that they have a purpose in life, a person feels that they have a principle of life, that they are not just going to be blown around by whatever the prevailing attitudes are in the world, that's a person who's going to have a, a deeper sense of happiness and fulfillment. So. It's true. It's not in the text. You're not going to be able to read that in the text unless you read, read very, very carefully to the naked eye. It doesn't seem that the Torah is purporting uh, or, you know, promoting that type of existence. Certainly when you read the narratives from the beginning of the, of the Bible, you know, the, the narratives that we read, the, the, there's, no, there's no narrator that's saying, oh, by the way, um, I'm writing this so that you should all learn, you know, these wonderful characteristics of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and you should stay away from this and that. It's 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 kind of understood, and it's couched. It's couched in a very general, uh, traditional outlook, which is this is a book of teaching, and a book of instructions, a book of knowing what the principles of life are, and. If you read it that way, there's a lot of the depth that can be plumbed and explored every time you read it. So if we go a little bit further along this line, right, we'll find that also when it comes to negativity, it's pretty much the same thing. Because we are wondering, like, what's the deal with all the negativity, right? We don't, we are very sensitive today to negativity, right? We don't, People um, might be able to tolerate their dose of negativity by reading the news, although I don't really uh, suggest it or I, I wouldn't advocate for watching too much news. I think it's crazily negative and it brings people down. Uh, so, so that's a good point. What, what makes negative news um, harmful and what makes negative news or negative failures or what we're calling now these this negative recording in our Torah, what makes that different than Stam negative news that brings you down? What's the difference? Right. So this is a very interesting issue, which is at the crux of the issue that we're talking about. Because when we talk about on the level of personalities of of actual human beings, um, we have a choice. If let's compare it to the news. If if you read the news and you read about some guy who nobody knows who he is. And for all intents and purposes, we would assume just a regular old guy who does something pretty awful. 
Um, what does that do to us? Right? Well, what do you what do you think it does to us? I mean, what the the, the viewer? What does what does he think? Like, what does that? How does that impact on the viewer? Personally, I know that it just. <laughs> I I'm like, man, that sucks. Yeah. This is just not not cool. Not yeah. cool. Not doesn't leave me feeling hopeful about humankind. Right. Personally. Right. It's 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 um. We feel a certain association to that person. And um, some even argue that this type of, uh, of psychology is, is, this, is the idea of like how vicious cycles are created, where uh, the power of suggestion allows um, evil to promote itself and to, and to continue itself because um, once it's perpetrated, so then it just becomes easier for other people to do it as well. So, you know, the, the, the century of genocide didn't only see it once, but saw it multiple amount of times until people hopefully learn their lesson because, well, once it's done, so then, then you can do it, right? It's once you see somebody crossing that line, so then, okay, so then the line is crossable. The society has somehow tolerated that type of uh, activity. And that's what's horrible about negative news because doesn't really help it just promotes itself and that's what we lament when we talk about the negativity in the news you know it, it not just how it makes you feel in general but but that it actually um pushes the agenda of uh those evil things even more however when we read about history where the people are not here and now so first of all there is a sense of of a cushion of looking into history and saying, I'm not pressured by that that's going on right now, you know, that maybe could even affect me, you know, if somebody ripped off a bank or something or the ripple effects to me now where, where you feel the, the here and now of the of the of that uh, the offense or that crime that had been done. In some way or another, a person might feel, oh, you know, that's impacting me and and like the world is where's the world going and it's like i guess yeah, as the gemara says hutra ratsua like you know everything is in a free fall when you look in history in general there's a distance that's created so it does allow time for reflection that's number one so when you're studying about mistakes and failings in history there is a distance that allows you that cushion to to be able to reflect and look at it and not take it so to your own actuality, your own reality, and saying, oh, I guess it's all going to, to hell. Um, so it creates an emotional barrier. It's, right. it's, not, it's, it's not a threat to me. I'm not scared about it. I'm not nervous about it. I'm not freaking out about it. I'm, I could look at it with objective eyes and calmness that otherwise, if it were to be happening now, is not available to me. Right. Then there's the tradition. In other words, the general tradition is a tradition of, which is a very bigger issue. I'm not sure we're going to be able to get a hold of all this on this podcast, but there's this concept of Zecher Tzadik Levarcha in Hebrew, which means the mention of a Tzadik is a blessing, and Shem Rishayim Yerkav, which is the names of the evil will rot. 
Now, what that means is that the, the way that's presented in the Talmud is to say that when the history shows and the reports show and the testimony of a person's life shows that this particular person was essentially a good person. So Zecher Tzadik, the mention of this man or woman who were righteous, Levracha, always creates bracha. It always creates blessing. That means that their lives are exemplary. So if their lives are exemplary, it's an exemplary, exemplary means it's, it's uh, I, want to, I want to imitate that life. So the learning of their lives, the learning about their lives um, is always a blessing, whether their lives uh, show explicitly um, amazing things that they've done or their lives show failings because the failings of a great person um, always impact on the, on the person who's uh, open enough to, to learn in a very positive way, right? In other words, if you have a respect for a particular person and you see that he failed, when does it cross the line where you say, oh, that failing now makes him not a righteous person, right? When does that happen? Well, it has to be either a preponderance of his actions are evil, or it has to be that the action that he did was so, so, so grave that it, it's like it couldn't be possible that a person who was righteous did something like that. Now, in the cases of the personalities of the Torah, we have failings, but those failings are never failings that would say, you know, these these people or this person is like beyond the pale. This, this can't be a... Uh, you know, an imitatable generation, or this can't be an imitatable person. We're not, we're not interested in, in, in learning um, or, or emulating that person because look at what he did. You'll be hard pressed to find that. Now, I'm not saying you're, I know what you're going to ask. You're, I mean, you're, it looks like it's on the tip of your tongue. There are certain things that, that you know, challenge this uh, assumption, challenges, challenges explanation, like for, you know. Brothers of Joseph, they sell him, right? Who sells the brother, right? When when Cain kills his brother Hevel, right? Now Cain kills his brother Hevel. We don't. Nobody can say I don't know any Jewish person, for example, who named their ch child Cain, right? I hope I don't know who's listening, but the point is, is if you if you pick open up the Bible and name your child Cain, you might want to read a little further. To realize that Cain, you know, is actually a person who committed fratricide. You know, it's not, he's not, if you can get to do that, it's not something that you, he doesn't become an emulatable person. You don't want to emulate Cain, right? I, I do want to clarify then, you, you're saying that the people in our Bible that we consider to be heroes have never done something so grave that marks them as no longer heroes. But there are indeed stories in the Torah of people who did indeed go too far, for example, Cain. Right, right. And there, and there are um, a list of those that when you get further and further into the prophets, you'll see that, you know, there are people that showed a lot of promise, even kings of Israel, but they went over the line. You know, they crossed the line that was, it would just be, it's just, it's not, they, they could always do their own personal, 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 sorry, 
uh, return and you know rectification for their own sins, but it kind of takes them out of the sphere of being that exemplary person, right? Now you're going to tell me some of the most incredible stories of of the Tanakh of uh, the Bible when you go past the five books of Moses are, you know, have very, some very, very strong stories like David Amelech, right? The King David, you know, the, some of the things that King David has done in his life, you know, seem to cross those lines, but you have to really study those stories well to see why, you know, King David remains a, a figure as a heroic figure, a figure that we want to emulate, but we can't, it's beyond the scope of the, this podcast, I believe, maybe we can dedicate some other time to it. But <laughs> Consider this a bonus thing to think about over the weekend that won't be solved right now. Right. <laughs> I mean, challenge yourself to try to go through those figures and, and ask yourself, are these heroic figures? And don't just ask yourself the question of like what you feel. I mean, you have to be honest and ask yourself, you know, what in the tradition of, uh, of, of, of Jewish history are these people considered to be heroes? And, and also... Hopefully, we're not going to be conceited and feel like, well, if I think he's not a hero, then the heck with everybody else. I mean, no, there are many, many, many uh, purveyors of the tradition that were very, very sensitive to these things. And, and, um, and if they continue a tradition that has, you know, that lifts up XYZ individual, let's say, you know, Moses or, or David. David Hamelach, King David, or Solomon, or Avram, or you know Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, all the matriarchs. I mean, if they're lifting these these people up as examples, um, it's not a whitewashing. It's, it's after a critical study to understand what is being expressed about their lives and what do we have we received as a tradition about their lives, and um, can we can we say that they deserve our um, emulation, you know, that we should really try to emulate them. Now, what we're trying to say with the mistakes is that the mistakes are the greatest real, you know, the really the greatest thing that we can learn from. You know, we always learn much more from mistakes than just, you know, touting ourselves or touting whoever it is as an amazing individual that practically did no wrong. That dovetails into another problem that since that our society today, even a religious Jewish society, is so um let's just say not tolerant of like seeing the failings of people so we end up with an entire genre of books of great men and women where it's very hard to learn from those books because um it never talks about the real struggles that that they had it's always like they always come out rosy and they never did anything wrong and it's the, the book would never, you know, God forbid, say that they made a mistake um, practically. So the, the, those books remain um, pretty insignificant books. And uh, it just shows that even in our society, uh, you know, traditional Jewish society, that supposedly upholds the idea of learning from mistakes, because the entire Tanakh is an entire Bible is about learning from mistakes. Again, to reiterate our point, learning from mistakes from those people who we feel are worthwhile learning from, right? That's the, that's the trick. Um, we're, we're essentially looking at these lives and saying they made mistakes, but the mistakes that they made don't take them off their throne of respect that they deserve, let's say. And 
And that's the point we're making. And that's why it's hopeful for mankind, because, because mankind essentially is all about making mistakes. And we've learned, you know, from modern psychology to, you know, I'm sure in coaching, it's a, it's a big thing. You know, you're a coach, uh, Ayala, and you know very often that uh, the greatest lessons you learn in life are from the mistakes you make. But, if, but that tradition of learning from mistakes has to come from somewhere. And, and the inspiration we're getting from the Bible and the Torah reading is that the mistakes that you read are actually lift, uplifting because we all make mistakes. And just because we make mistakes, that doesn't make us into people that should just give up because of our mistakes. On the contrary, those mistakes are the real catalysts for, for real growth. So leading a principled, happy life is a principled, happy life that's based on learning from our mistakes. And therefore, we have these all these great examples in the Bible that talk about the mistakes and talk about what does it mean to live a principled life and to and to you know even record the great mistakes of our forefathers so that we can all learn from them. When you compare it to other traditions, I really feel strongly that um, it, there's a good case for the Jewish um, way of recording history. I, I feel it's a very it creates much more of an open society, society of growth, society of intellectual and emotional growth. Whereas I must say, um, if our heroes never made mistakes, I wonder what that would say about us and our society, and what that would do to our society. I can only look and see about you know the level of intolerance that uh, the other monotheistic faiths, faiths profess towards those that don't toe the line, um, it would seem that, especially as we advance towards modernity, that they're ill-equipped they're, or they're, they're not as equipped to deal with the failings of man vis-a-vis -vis the religion. Um, unless, let's say in Christianity, they take a very um, open uh line a very open uh, position when it comes to what it means to fail as a christian so um there's a lot of flexibility there right? so therefore um you know they don't have to deal so much about with failing you know that the, the, the person needs to believe and the belief is a very personal thing it's not very noticeable what your what it is that you're doing your behavior whereas in islam it's much more obvious and therefore you see a lot less tolerance in judaism there's many 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 more laws and many more strictures and understandings about how a person's behavior should be and what it should look like and still still after all is said and done there's an, an amazing amount of tolerance there um, considering the amount of law uh, that there is and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that because our tradition is also about making mistakes and about recovering from mistakes and about tshuva and getting to um, live with yourself and know that you're anyway blessed, even if you make mistakes, and it's only an opportunity to be able to learn from it um, and not fall down the path of, uh, of, um, of, of, I guess, misery because of the mistakes that we've made. So just to rehash then, you said the three points that make negative news that brings you down versus the, um, the negative recordings that we have in Torah is time 
um, afterwards, it's about people who we can really emulate. Human life is really the, the not the epitome of human life, but an important part of human life is indeed the ability to make mistakes and to learn from them, which in itself creates hope, which may be why, which is a question we didn't answer yet, why really are we so attracted to negative news and to negative recordings? Is it because hearing about negative, these in, in talking about the Bible, is it a, because when we learn about the mistakes of our great leaders and our great heroes, in, inspire us with, with the, the aliveness and um, fragility and hope that there is in, in the human condition to make mistakes and to then keep going forward and to keep being on a path where mistakes are allowed and tolerated and there is always ways to continue learning is is that really where it comes from as opposed to when we go into the news where it's it's a in our time which creates a lot of emotional instability and b these aren't necessarily people that we relate to that we feel are important to us at all or emulative at all and they're not teaching us about the importance of recuperating from mistakes or how we can learn from making mistakes, but they are just perpetuating negativity, right. which then creates what you said, a vicious cycle right. of just more negativity because it's just out there with no eyes looking to improve what right. was done wrong. Right. Um, just to add one more point to that, I agree. I, I, I just want to, that was a good recapitulation. I just, I mean, not, um, that was a good summary. Um, what I would add is that everything, the, the key word here is context. Um, we all know that, you, you, you know, a lot of people can be looking at the same thing and see different things and ex extract and extrapolate and learn different things. And I feel that um, the Judaism is context creates a way of rebounding from error. Um, that's really a part and parcel of life. And that is the story of the Torah. It's about creating a new life based on the foibles of man, because man is imperfect. It's very uplifting. Um, I think it's interesting to note, I always, I always talk about this with parents. How crazy is it that with small young children in first grade, we talk about things like fratricide, and horrible relationships. I mean, these aren't, you know, because we're reading the Bible with the children, we're, who in the world today would read a story to their children in first grade kindergarten and even earlier in certain circles about all these horrible things? I mean, there's amazing things too that are wrapped together with it, but, you know, I've had situations where in my school that I ran in, in South America, where I've had teachers who came to me and said, you know, I, I, I don't know how to teach this particular episode in the Torah because it's, uh, I, I don't know how the kids are going to react to it. I mean, they're a little bit already sixth, seventh grade, you know, I'm not sure what they're going to say. You know, how do I, it's, it, you know, that modern reaction to like, a, you know, old stories that have been read over and over and over again is very interesting. And I feel that in the in the end, the answer is is that everything has to do with the context. And if you if you if if you live within a context that understands that even the great people can err, but ultimately we're here to learn, 
And ultimately, we're here to respect and learn, just like if a person saw their parents making a mistake. There's a good relationship there, and there's respect between the child and the parent. Um, the child will look at the, at the parent, hopefully, and say, whoa, I wonder one day if my father and mother would like to talk to me about what it was that made them you know, make that mistake and what they learned from it so that I can learn from it too. It, it's not going to create a, it shouldn't create a, a you know, a, uh, a barrier. It shouldn't create like a distance between the child and the, and the parent. Whereas the child says, oh, well, I, I'm the heck with those parents. And I'm just, I'm going to try somebody else. Because the context, emotional context and the respect that's generally engendered, unless parents really mess it up, is there. So therefore, it's, it is a context of learning. Whereas in the, on the news, it's just about, it's almost about making fun. It's almost about, you know, pointing your big, big finger at, in somebody else's direction and, and saying, look how horrible that is. Yeah. Look how terrible that is. There's no, there's no context that you can watch on the news that says, well, what can we learn from this? You know, I mean, maybe they could turn that around every once in a while. But, you know, you have to go deep, deep into some editorial or some maybe podcast where people can actually analyze it and try to learn from the mistakes of society for particular people. But your average pulp, uh, you know, newscast is basically just about saying, um, let's just spread the evil evenly <laughs> all over mankind because everybody's messing up all the time. And and if you thought, you know, you're going to be safe, you know, we're going to point the finger in your direction. So it's like toxic. It's radioactive. And nobody learns anything from it. I like that point a lot. Context. Context is everything in terms of learning, in terms of, in terms of taking in negative reporting, negative news. I thought that's a really big point, and it's a great way to really wrap this all up. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Um, just then that final word, remembering that our initial question is, what, what does the fall of our great heroes in the Torah leave us to hope for? Why is it that it's so many negative recordings? And we're really saying because in the context of Torah, the fall of these great men and women is, is a way for us to learn. And there, there are people who within a context are really, really big people with a lot of knowledge and a lot of understanding and um, we want to learn from them and that gives us a lot of hope just that context creates hope that human beings fail no matter where they are in life and that is in itself inspiring that even people who are really big fail um, and we too doing our best every day here also fail and and that's okay that's part of the human condition which turns the question into really how Torah really is a book of hope it's a book of hope and a book of learning. And principle. And exactly. And living according to principles that ultimately um, give you that confidence to feel that you're living a good life, a happy life. And uh, we, we hope that uh, this will generate thinking and discussion. And that's really the point of uh, our podcast. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a wonderful Shabbat, wonderful weekend.